Okay, good evening. This call to order the Housing and Human Services Commission special meeting of February 22nd at 2023 at 7 p.m. Before we get started, <clears throat> I'd like to remind commissioners of some procedural items for this meeting. During the meeting, participants should remain muted when not speaking. If participants have a question or comment, please use the raised hand feature. Speakers will be called upon to speak one at a time. A random order voice vote will be administered by city staff for each vote. The Housing and Human Services Commission meeting is being conducted utilizing teleconferencing and electronic means as allowed by Government Code Subdivision 54953E and Resolution Number 1089-21, most recently reaffirmed on February 7th, 2023. Members of the public may provide audio public comment by connecting to the teleconference meeting online or by telephone. Use the raised hand feature to request to speak, which is star nine on the telephone. Teleconference meetings, meeting details are available on the Housing and Human Services Commission meeting agenda. Captions are available to viewers accessing this meeting via Zoom. Captions can be displayed or hidden using the live transcript button. Comments on matters not on the agenda must be submitted prior to the time the chair calls them the item for oral communications. Comments on agenda items must be submitted prior to the time the chair closes the public hearing on the agenda item. Speakers are requested to keep their comments to no more than three minutes and time limits will be enforced. Guidelines are posted on the Housing and Human Services Commission meeting agenda. City staff, may we please have a, the roll call? Yes, Chair. Chair Stetson? Present. Vice Chair Revere? Present. Commissioner Davis? Present. Commissioner Duncan? Present. Commissioner Harrison? Present. Commissioner Hiremath? Present. Commissioner Lay? Present. Thank you. Let the record show that uh, everybody's here. Thank you. So we go on to a presentation, item number 23-0352, CDBG and General Fund Human Services and CDBG Home Capital Project Funding Proposals. We have a presentation. Great, thank you. I just Yes, I would just like to do a brief introduction before we get started on the presentation. Uh, good evening. My name is Leif Christensen. I'm the Housing Programs Analyst with the City of Sunnyvale. So the first item tonight is focused on moving forward with the 2023 Community Development Block Grant and General Fund Grant Making Cycle. The City received a lot of strong funding proposals in response to the re request for proposals released in December. Each agency that submitted a proposal will present for up to three minutes tonight about the mission of their agency and the impact their project proposal will have on the Sunnyvale community and why it is important to fund their proposal. This is an opportunity for the agencies to introduce or reintroduce themselves to the commission as we begin the, begin the process of discussing funding recommendations in the very near future. I don't want to discourage asking questions to the agencies, but it is important to note that the March meeting will include the evaluation committee's ranking and funding recommendations for these agencies' proposals, and the commission will have access to all of the proposals before the March meeting, get a more detailed understanding of each program and project that is seeking funding. With that said, I would like to express my appreciation to each agency and the representatives for being here this evening, 
The agencies that will speak tonight provide crucial services to so many individuals and households that need support in Sunnyvale year in and year out. The city is grateful to be a small part of those efforts and we can go ahead and, and get started on the presentations. Thank you for your time. Great. So um, if you wish to speak, um, please raise your hand. I will be calling on you in the order that you show up on my queue. If you sent a slide presentation, let us know once you come on. No worries, we'll uh, queue your presentation and your time will not start until um, it's ready for you, okay? So let's go ahead and um, get started. Um, we'll start with Marie Bernard, uh, followed by Anne-Marie Hong. Um, okay, Marie, you should be um, able to unmute yourself. Thank you, uh, Edith. And before we get started, also, uh, is it possible for us to have uh, a separate presentation for our economic development CDBG proposal with uh, Downtown Streets team? I just wanted to make sure because those are two separate proposals. Yes, we we are aware, and they um, they sent a couple of different slides, okay, and they cool. are on the queue. All right, perfect. Thank you so much. Okay. So Jenny should be queuing up your presentation. Okay. All right. All right, thank you. Um, thank you, Chair Stetson and commissioners and city staff. My name is Marie Bernard. I'm executive director of Sunnyvale Community Services. And um, we're very happy to be presenting this evening. If we can go to the next slide. So we are the emergency assistance agency who is uh, uh, allocated all the zip codes in Sunnyvale to take uh, to um, take on the services of emergency food, uh, financial assistance, connections to services, and many other services for the low-income people in Sunnyvale. And last year we assisted 10,595 of our neighbors with one or more services. Next slide. And our services are quite all-encompassing here since we've been in, in, in Sunnyvale since 1970. Um, today, we're gonna to be focusing on the year-round food programs and also later in the presentation from uh, Downtown Streets Team Workforce Sunnyvale Job Training. So I wanted to turn this over. I hope that um, Cody Sampson, who is on our team, is also in the queue. If he could take over the slides. Is it possible to unmute him? Yes, he should be okay. able to unmute himself now. Thank you. Okay. Thank you, Marie. Uh, thank you for allowing me to speak. My name is Cody Sampson. I'm the Food and Nutrition Program Manager for Sunnyvale Community Services. And I'd like to say thank you for your ongoing support of the vital work we do for the low-income residents of Sunnyvale. Um, I'm just gonna highlight the food program for you guys tonight. Um, if you can go to the next slide, please. Um, so our CDBG funding um, for food, it's going to supplement um, the donations that we get. Um, so we're asking for $100,000 for a year-round food program for low-income Sunnyvale residents. 
we'll be able to assist about 568 Sunnyville households with this money um, with nutritious food and appropriate food um, for, for the people that we serve. Um, this money will go for the equivalent of 2,273 bags of food valued at $44 a bag. Uh, we purchase proteins, staple items such as rice, pasta, um, beans, and culturally appropriate food. We think that's important. So we're the food and nutrition department. And so we believe that nutrition is just as important as providing food. It's about getting people what they need, but the right food. Um, if you could go to the next slide, please. Um, so we get a lot of our food is donated from um, Second Harvest of Silicon Valley. About 70% of the food that we get is from Second Harvest or Second Harvest um, sponsored programs, one of which is Grocery Rescue. Um, so we get um, donated food that's basically near the expiration date um, from Whole Foods, Zanato, Chavez, um, and other stores in Sunnyvale. We go pick it up and we give it out to our clients. Um, we also rely on uh, community members to do local food drives for us, um, cereal drives, schools, churches, that sort of thing. Um, but over the last year or so, Second Harvest has reduced the allocations, and that's due to um, the fact that pre-pandemic they were serving about 250,000 people, and now they serve about 450,000 people. Um, they've also received 53% less food from the USDA as they were um, during the pandemic, and they've had reduced um, community donations, plus the rising cost of food has also affected them. Um, if you can go to the next slide, please. So with all those things in mind, um, to support our year-round food nutrition programs, we must buy um, some of the most needed foods. Um, so we, we um, distribute fresh produce twice a month, um, uh, over a thousand families come through and we had a produce donation, produce distribution today, excuse me, and uh, near a thousand people came through. We give out 25 pound bags of fruits and vegetables, fresh and seasonal um, to our clients. We also have monthly food programs for families and seniors, and that's over a thousand people that drive through um, each month to get food from us. And those bags include staples, proteins, um, cereal, that sort of thing. Um, again, we believe in nutrition. So we partnered, um, one of my favorite things is over the last year, we partnered with Dr. Susan Chen at the San Jose State Nutrition Department. Um, and they have analyzed our food bags for nutrition so we can better serve our community. They've also done listening sessions for us um, that highlighted what are the barriers for seniors and other populations to access our food? Um, so we're putting in the work to figure out exactly how we get um, the right things to the people that need them the most. Um, we have a really robust program for unhoused. They're able to come in twice a week and get back appropriate food for them um, uh, as long uh, as well as toiletries and clothing and um, sleeping bags, things like that. We also have a home delivery food program that we serve 330 individuals uh, two to four times a month. So volunteers go out and deliver uh, bags of healthy food, uh, seasonal produce, and also pre-packed microwavable meals that we get from um, 
an agency called Loaves and Fishes that are donated to us. Um, and so that has increased. Um, that, that's basically doubled in the last year or so. Um, next slide, please. And your three minutes is up. If you can go ahead and wrap up your final thoughts. And so we have lots of programs that we have to purchase food for. Um, Kids Summer Nutrition Program is one of them. Um, we, we provide special holiday foods to make the holiday a little more normal for people that um, experience low-income situations. Next slide, please. Um, and I sort of already talked about this, but um, in April, well, I didn't talk about this, but in April, um, the emergency funding for uh, CalFresh that provides food stamps and, and food aid is going away. So a family of one um, can experience that their food aid is gonna go from $281 a month to as low as $23 a month. And so people are gonna turn to um, Sunnyvale Community Services more than ever. And we wanna be here um, to provide the right food for them. Thank you for my time, I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, next, we have Anne-Marie Long with AbilityPath. Uh, you should be able to unmute yourself. Hear me? Yes. Great. And, um, Jenny should be uh, queuing up your presentation, OK? I apologize in advance if you can also hear the toddler <laughs> yelling in the background who does not want to go to sleep. <laughs> All right, go right ahead. Great. Thank you all uh, for having me. My name is Anne Marie, and I am here to speak on behalf of Ability Path this evening. Thank you uh, to the HHSC and City of Sunnyvale for having us and for supporting Ability Path. Uh, next slide. I'll give a quick overview um, of Ability Path for those who may not uh, be familiar with us. Um, if you are unfamiliar with Ability Path, you may know us as our former entity, Abilities United. We merged with the San Mateo County-based Community Gate Path in 2019 and renamed ourselves Ability Path to better reflect our mission. Ability Path serves over 3,000 individuals each year across both San Mateo and Santa Clara counties through our Learning Links inclusive preschools, children therapy services, family support services, and adult services to further our mission of empowering people with special needs to achieve their full potential, which we do through innovative, inclusive programs and community partnerships. Next slide, please. The focus of our funding request from the City of Sunnyvale is our adult services department. We provide a variety of services to individuals over the age of 18 to live as independently as possible and fully participate in their community through programs that include items such as education at local community colleges, recreation opportunities, socialization, volunteering, community integration to utilize community resources that we all have access to, learn independent living skills like doing laundry, cooking, budgeting, uh, managing medication, learning self-advocacy, etc., and finding paid employment or paid internship opportunities. Next slide, please. So I wanted to spend the majority of my time speaking with you to talk about um, two quick stories of demonstrated impact through our services to Sunnyvale residents. Um, we provide our adult services through uh, a couple different programs, an adult day activities program, employment services, which is one-on-one -on -one, uh, job development and on-site job coaching, and one-on-one -on -one independent living skills. 
So to speak to our employment services, uh, especially throughout the pandemic, we've noticed that we've had individuals suffer um, severely from um, mental health concerns, uh, especially isolation. And I wanted to tell you about one individual who came to our program uh, about a year ago and had been without services for months due to moving from one county to another. And there had been a lengthy transition period for the case getting transferred from one regional center to the new one. And the regional center being uh, the, the state entity that funds their support services. Without the necessary support to find a job, this individual's mental health declined significantly. The family contacted Ability Path for help, and our employment services team helped facilitate the revival of services. Once the individual started working with an Ability Path employment specialist, they identified notable challenges with previous positions, and the individual received coaching on how to address those challenges during future interviews. The individual is a go-getter and would look started to look for jobs independently would walk to stores with desired positions and speak with managers directly about employment opportunities. After several unsuccessful interviews, the individual practiced how to answer difficult questions about why former jobs didn't work out. And at the next interview, the individual was hired on the spot. And this person now travels to work on public transportation, highly values the job, utilizes job coaching support from AbilityPath, asks to take on additional hours, and continues to receive rave reviews from their employer. Most importantly, this person's support team, their family, reports to AbilityPath that the individual's um, mental health has improved considerably because they're working, they're, they're back to having a meaningful purpose each day and bringing home a paycheck that helps them to sustain their, their living day to day. Another individual has been working with Ability Path for a couple of years, and in the last year has taken on services from a variety of programs, so receiving employment services, independent living skills, and computer education support. And the importance of this is to show that the comprehensive services really help to develop the whole person. Um, and I want to say that about 50% of the Sunnyvale residents that we serve are enrolled in more uh, than one adult services program, which helps with their development of independent living skills, again, being successful at a paid job or internship, and having access to their community, just like any other person who doesn't have a disability. This person in particular has demonstrated significant achievement in both their professional life and personal life. When they started our independent living skills program, they did not communicate verbally very much, was very timid with the world around them. Through regular participation, and this means uh, weekly sessions, one-on-one -on -one with an independent living skills staff, the person we serve branched outside of their comfort zone and started going on walks independently to the grocery store with their shopping list, finding and paying for items independently with minimal assistance, and has become more comfortable interacting with cashiers, has practiced counting change, matching it to the receipt, and has even learned to use their rewards app uh, at their favorite store. They've joined uh, virtual classes and clubs that AbilityPath has offered throughout the pandemic, and even picked up a new hobby that they really enjoy. This success has also helped them in their workplace. When during the pandemic, as you may 
imagine many jobs were furloughed, uh, things were slow. This particular person worked at a cafe that really didn't have much attendance um, because people weren't at work and weren't going out to lunch. Um, as things started to pick back up, the work pace of work increased significantly and the person wasn't able to, or I shouldn't say wasn't able, but found that that new pace of work um, was really challenging. And so this person was able to communicate with their employment specialist and with their manager uh, with the support of their employment specialist to advocate for themselves and say, you know, I think I need something a little bit different um, where you can utilize my skills. And um, in collaboration with the job coach and their uh, very empathetic and supportive supervisor, the person moved locations. And um, as a result of that, it was about six months ago, uh, continues to be really successful in their job and is using skills that they work on with their independent living skills coach of um, taking care of themselves at home. And that carries over into the job. And so as you can see, the services that we've provided just these two individuals uh, have been really meaningful and impactful. And it goes uh, for all of the individuals we serve from Sunnyvale so that they can not only be successful for themselves in their home or in their job, they can contribute to their community, they can feel included and feel like their community really cares for them. And um, this in turn goes back to impact the city of Sunnyvale and, and make the world and, and the city a more inclusive place for all. And that is all from me. If anyone has any questions, I'd be happy to answer. Thank you. Thank you. Next, we have Angelica H., followed by Christine Akhtar. Angelica, you should be able to unmute yourself. Hi, can you hear me? Yes. Okay, perfect. Hi, my name is Angelica Holguin. I am the Director of Programs at Silicon Valley. Oh my goodness, I'm so sorry. Hold that thought, Angelica. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> no problem. Okay, okay. I'm Angelica Holguin. I'm the Director of Programs at Silicon Valley Independent Living Center. Um, um, tonight, thank you for having us. Um, so SVILC's Housing and Emergency Services uh, for Persons with Disabilities addresses several of the city's um, consolidated plan objectives and populations. One, we provide housing for elderly residents and persons with disabilities. Two, we do um, emergency housing to prevent homelessness. We provide access to fresh and nutritious foods through our on-site pantry. We have um, services for extremely low income households and services for homeless populations. SVILC works exclusively with persons who identify as significantly disabled, also identifying as an at-risk population. Our housing program for persons with disabilities will assist 60 residents with disabilities and their families to transition from homelessness, healthcare facilities, unstable or temporary housing, to permanent, affordable, accessible, integrated housing. Specific housing assistance services are housing workshops to teach consumers how to perform a housing search, information and referral services to other available resources that can assist in locating and obtaining housing and utilizing SVILC's 
proprietary housing list of suitable housing options throughout the county to find available units that meet individuals' needs. Individual services with staff who specialize in housing to assess housing-related needs and develop a customized independent living plan, include, including budget and working with the consumer directly. Um, peer support group uh, in order to increase consumer knowledge of housing solutions for independent living. Uh, we have ha housing and tenant and landlord rights. We provide education regarding landlord tenant rights, particularly when a consumer is requesting necessary accessibility modifications and reasonable accommodations. We also provide emergency rent assistance or first month's rent as funds are available. We are able to uh, other support supportive independent living services that can assist the consumer to gain or increase independence. We have a history of meeting our program goals and achieving successful outcomes with 75% of consumers maintaining their affordable housing with our interventions and support and 15% securing new housing within one year. SVILC greatly appreciates the partnership with the city of Sunnyvale, and we're thankful for the funding support that helps us serve low, lower income Sunnyvale residents with disabilities. Um, thank you. That's all for my presentation, and I, I'm um, willing to take any questions or um, comments. Thank you. Thank all you. right. Next, we have uh, Christine. You should be able to unmute yourself. And uh, Jenny should be queuing up your presentation. Hi there. Am I able to also show my screen? I mean, or like show my camera? Um, or I just have another person with me, so I didn't know if that was. Oh, <laughs> you haven't, that's okay. I mean, we won't be able to see it. The oh, okay. Presentation that's fine. That's is covering the whole screen. Yeah. Okay, that's fine. She's, um, she's on the pictures there anyway. <laughs> oh, okay. okay. Thank you so much for having us. I'm Christine Oktar. I'm the Associate Director at Friends for Youth. And Friends for Youth has been providing quality mentoring relationships for underserved youth who need support the most with the goals of empowering them to be mentally and behaviorally healthy, emotionally secure, and equipped with resiliency building skills. Since 1979, we've matched over 3,000 youth with a caring adult mentor in our flagship one-to-one -one program. And then since 2016, we've been providing school-based group mentoring to address rising dropout rates for low-income um, students of color. So we always prioritize protecting our vulnerable youth populations and fostering quality mentoring relationships that stand the test of time, as you'll hear about. Um, our services meet the city's top priority needs for services for youth intervention, helping special needs populations and underserved youth by working to improve health and safety and providing mental health options for low-income families. So especially now, we, we also heard about this in previous presentations, in the wake of the pandemic's negative effects on mental health Health, especially among youth. Uh, there are rising rates of depression, anxiety, trauma, grief among our youth. And as 53% um, of Columbia Middle School students, which are our primary clients in Sunnyvale, are English learners, foster youth, or eligible for free or reduced price meals, 
we see that the pandemic has exacerbated those socioeconomic stressors and lowered access to resources and positive relationships. So our 44 years of field research shows that mentoring brings a ton of positive outcomes in social emotional development, in behavioral health and academic performance. And we just wanna provide safe spaces for kids to learn these skills and to connect with and advocate for their own communities. So before I even joined the staff at Friends for Youth, I was actually a volunteer mentor. As you can see here, I met Joanna 10 years ago. We both lived in Sunnyvale and she went to Columbia Middle School. She was 12, now she's 22. And in that picture on the right there, she's 22 years old at our, um, at our gala earlier um, last year. So we're going to tell you a little bit about our mentorship story and the impact that it's had on our lives as just an example of how um, our mentoring services are helping kids in Sunnyvale. So I'll have Joanna start. Hi everyone, this is Joanna. So I'm just gonna go ahead and give my perspective on Friends for Youth. So um, in the summer of 2013, I was 12 years old and I was going through a really rough patch in my life. At that time, I had lost my 15-year-old cousin to a bike accident. I had also lost someone really important to me um, to cancer as well. She was like a second mother to me. So I was really going through it at the time. And my only resort was to you know, talk to my school about a cancer and the counselor actually recommended me to join Friends for Youth. And at first I didn't know what it was. Um, and so when she told me all about it and, you know, pairing up with a mentor who can really help, I was very interested. And let me just say it was one of the best things that ever happened to me in life. Um, at that time, you know, 12 years old, I didn't have friends that can relate to grief. I didn't have someone I can confide in. And I just wanted someone older who understood and who didn't go to my school. And um, so that helped me out throughout life. You know, Christine, I was able to make a lot of good memories with her. She was there for me. Um, I had a mentor. I could go to her about questions about life and it was awesome. And, you know, one of my most favorite memories was something as simple as just baking cookies. And that really just was implemented in my brain. And I will forever be thankful for that because it was one of those things that I just, I frankly needed at the moment. Yeah, we had so many good, she said she wanted somebody older. I like to think wiser. <laughs> um, we went to a lot of cool places that she had never been before, a lot of museums and aquariums and just a lot of really fun new experiences that are a part of the program as well. Um, around the same time, my dad actually passed away from liver cancer and after I got home from an extended trip back in Chicago, Joanna was there with a welcome back balloon and a handmade poster for me. So within just a, a few months of our friendship, we could be a comfort to each other in a similarly difficult time. And usually you think it's the mentor who's always providing the support for the mentee, but I can say that it's absolutely works both ways and it's an amazing relationship for both people involved. Um, Joanna has actually seen me go from zero to four kids. She's been a part of so many key moments of um, different life transitions. She came to my baby shower. She babysat one time for a date night. She, I even attended her eighth grade play when, while I was in the early stages of labor. So our friendship has been going 10 years strong. She's studying to become a respiratory therapist. She's so smart. She has an amazing heart and a good head. And I just can't wait to see how her story continues to unfold. Um, we're both really happy to be a part of each other's lives. Um, and we're really thankful for all the ways that the city of Sunnyvale has helped us over the years with funding and support. And we just thank you for this opportunity as well. Oh, sorry, there was one more slide I forgot to <laughs> scan to, but that's okay. It was just more pictures of us. Thank you very much. 
Thank you. Thank you. Next, uh, we have Ann Peterson. You should be able to unmute yourself, Ann. Good, can you hear me? Yes. Okay. Uh, good evening, commissioners. Um, thank you for the opportunity to introduce or reintroduce Live Oak Adult Day Services to you this evening. Uh, I'm Ann Peterson. I'm the executive director at Live Oak. Um, Live Oak is a nonprofit organization that operates four adult day programs in Santa Clara County. Our mission is twofold to provide a quality structured day program designed to enhance the lives of frail dependent seniors and also to provide respite to their caregivers. Live Oak, um, the seniors who attend our program are generally, are definitely dependent and at risk, and most of them have mild to moderate dementia. The program runs five days a week in person now since the pandemic um, shelter in place has lifted. Uh, the seniors come to our center from nine to three. We provide breakfast, hot lunch, and snacks. We do daily exercise, uh, provide cognitive stimulation and opportunities for socialization. We, um, we also have been continuing our, uh, our online program so for two hours each day, we can provide some of those same activities to folks at home. Um, our goals for the program are really important. We try, we hope the program prevents or delays further cognitive decline in the seniors. Um, many of the families report back that their seniors are much brighter since they attend our program. They sleep better at night. It makes life a uh, a little bit better for the for the caregivers and the clients. Another goal is to enable our seniors to age in place and avoid or delay institutionalism. Uh, and that also we're very successful at. Usually each year about 85% of our seniors are able to stay home. Um, the other side of our coin is to provide respite and support to caregivers um, so that they're better able to take care of their loved ones and themselves. Um, we do this, first of all, by uh, giving the caregivers a break each day. Many of them need the time to sleep, shop. A lot of them go to work. It makes their life bearable. Um, we are hoping to combat isolation with con uh, contact, socialization, all those great things for our seniors. See, our seniors love to come to our center. They hate it when it's Saturday and it's closed. Um, generally, uh, they are pretty happy to come and um, and spend time with us. Uh, I just want to mention quickly that we have Sunnyvale has graciously uh, funded us each year, and again, most year as in most years, we've surpassed the goals in our grant. Thank you. Thank you. Next, we have uh, Georgia Basil and followed by Nigel Felix. Go ahead, Georgia. You should be able to unmute yourself now. Good evening. This is Georgia Basile, Directing Attorney of Senior Adults Legal Assistance, or SALA. Our mission is to support senior adults to live safely, independently, 
and with dignity and choice. Uh, to that end, we provide a, a full range of free legal services to Santa Clara County seniors, targeting clients that are low income or at risk of abuse or loss of independence. 73% of the Sunnyvale seniors we served last year were very low income, 40% were 75 or older, and 37% had a disability, placing them in greater economic need and at risk. We provide our services currently in person at appointments at Sunnyvale Community Services and by phone for clients that cannot leave their homes or with emergencies. And we thank Marie Bernard and her staff profusely. Thank you so much for hosting us there. Uh, our current Sunnyvale funding supports the expanded availability of our services to Sunnyvale seniors. We are requesting funding to continue these services next year. We address a wide range of legal matters impacting our clients' daily lives. For example, we assist seniors with legal problems involving the public benefits they rely on to meet basic needs, Social Security, SSI, Medicare, and Medi-Cal. We assist seniors that are worried about eviction, seniors needing reasonable accommodations in their housing, or seniors whose housing is otherwise in jeopardy. We assist seniors that need to do basic legal planning for the future to assist them to age in place by appointing someone they trust to step in and manage their affairs when they can no longer do so. And regrettably, we continue to see seniors that are victims of elder abuse, physical and financial, usually by someone living in their homes or someone they know, an adult child, grandchild, caregivers, tenants, even their neighbors. Our attorneys often have to go to court representing our clients in proceedings to obtain domestic violence or elder abuse restraining orders to prevent this abuse. Without SALA, most of our clients would not be able to navigate the legal or public benefit systems to represent themselves in court or at public benefit appeals, to prepare legal documents for future planning, such as advanced healthcare directives or powers of attorney, or to pay a private attorney $400 to $500 an hour for assistance that SALA offers at no cost. We cannot charge fees or accept fee generating cases under the Older Americans Act, which is our primary funder. Uh, the primary way we can support our services is through grants such as the one we currently receive from the city of Sunnyvale. So your funding helps us to provide the highest level of service possible here in Sunnyvale. It also leverages support from other services and uh, sources, and it serves as an endorsement that our services are really important to the city of Sunnyvale. So we thank you for our current support and the support over the many years in the past, and we hope that we can continue to receive support in the coming year. Thank you. Thank you, Georgia. Uh, next, we have Nigel Felix and followed by Elena Purcell. Nigel, you should be able to unmute yourself now. <clears throat> Perfect, and then I have a presentation as well. Yes. Okay. Hi, my name is Nigel Felix. I'm here on behalf of Midpen Housing to talk about Carol Inn. Uh, next slide, please. Uh, for those who don't know, Midpen Housing was founded in 1970. Uh, we have properties in 11 counties, and to date, we've completed over 9,500 units of affordable housing. Uh, a unique thing about MidPen is that we uh, develop and own our affordable housing properties, as well as have our own in-house management company and resident services team. Uh, next slide, please. 
Carolyn is located at 174 Carroll Street in Sunnyvale. It was built in 1994, is income restricted at 40% AMI, and specifically services low-income special needs and senior residents. Uh, this property has 121 uh, SRO units. These are uh, one bedrooms with a uh, kitchenette, and there's common area kitchens for a resident uh, use on each floor. Uh, next slide, please. Uh, with this project, we're looking to replace the gas-based heating system with electronic system inside all of the units. They currently only have heating options and no cooling options inside the units. We also wish to replace the gas system for the common area as well with an electric system. We're looking to replace the uh, central gas water heaters and storage tanks with an electric system, as well as upgrade the electrical circuits to allow for the installation of future uh, electric laundry dryers. Uh, next slide, please. Here you can see some of the proposed equipment that are going to be energy efficient on the property. On the left, you'll see the electric central water heaters. And on the right, you'll see uh, what's called a PTAC system, which are these uh, slim, sleek, wall-mounted units that will provide heating and cooling in the units, as well as being quite a, a space-saving units. Uh, next slide, please. We're requesting a total of $631,721. The property would uh, provide its own funds at $75,000, and the rest would come from energy efficient initiatives. Our biggest goal with this project uh, is to one, decarbonize, uh, to remove gas from the property fully. This will improve the indoor air quality for the residents, leading to increased health benefits for them, uh, as well as make the property more environmentally sustainable. Another key aspect of this project is if you remember last summer, temperatures got up to over 100 degrees in many parts of the Bay Area, and these units were without AC. With this new equipment, we'll be able to provide uh, heating and cooling to the interiors of the units and improve the residents' uh, health as well. Uh, this will also help us address um, equity issues when it comes to sustainability. Oftentimes, sustainability is only seen in terms of new builds and not existing constructions, and even more so with affordable housing, where they're typically left out. And so we're hoping to bridge the gap for low-income populations uh, with improving uh, energy efficiency. Uh, next slide, please. Uh, for our contacts for this project would be myself, as well as Aditi Mahmood, who's the Associate Director of Asset Management. Uh, next slide, please. And in conclusion, I just wanted to thank the City of Sunnyvale for their continued support and their long-term partnership with MedPen Housing, uh, especially when it comes to servicing lower income and special needs populations. We thank you for your opportunity to present these projects and we look forward to your final decision. Thank you so much. Thank you. Next, we have Elena Purcell. You should be able to unmute yourself. <clears throat> Jenny should be queuing up your presentation. Good evening. Oh, I think that's the last slide. Do we mind going to the first slide? Thank you so much. Sorry about that, go ahead. Right. Thank you so much. Well, good evening. Uh, thank you to the City of Sunnyvale staff and the Housing and Human Services Commission. Uh, my name is Elena Purcell Schrader. I'm the Development Director with Rebuilding Together Silicon Valley. Uh, we are honored to be able to present about our organization to you all this evening. Rebuilding Together Silicon Valley has been providing free safety modifications and home repairs to low-income Santa Clara residents for over 32 years. On average, we repair over 400 homes and support over 600 residents across the county annually. Our mission as an organization is to repair homes, revitalize communities, and rebuild lives. We believe that everyone deserves to live in a safe and healthy home, 
And since our founding in 1991, we have repaired over 4,800 homes and nonprofit organization facilities. Next slide, please. After ongoing discussions with the City of Sunnyvale stakeholders regarding the need to fill in a gap, Rebuilding Together Silicon Valley is proud to have presented an application to service 10 low-income Sunnyvale homeowners with much-needed minor non-emergency home modifications and repairs. Uh, with these non-emergency home modifications and repairs, our goal is to help low-income seniors and homeowners who might be in a flood zone and therefore are not able to apply for federal funding or low-income residents who have already utilized the city's program and therefore are no longer eligible for funding. Next slide, please. Our direct impact on the city of Sunnyvale residents would include, of course, alleviating cost burden seniors, individuals with disabilities, and others in the community that have a need. Um, every individual that we support is low income at 80% of the area median income or below. Um, we provide a much needed uh, service in gaps for minor and non-emergency repairs. Uh, and we're very fortunate that we've had community support um, in working with the City of Sunnyvale Housing Department, having extensive conversations about what that gap might be. Um, and then also the Sunnyvale Senior Center. Uh, they have agreed to refer clients to our organization as well. And then of course, um, addressing all of these needs in the community is a part of the City of Sunnyvale's consolidated plan to address unmet housing needs as outlined in that plan. Uh, the social return on, on investment in our programs provides community connection, safety, physical health improvements, mental health improvements, economic security through cost reduction, independence, and peace of mind knowing there's an additional resource to low-income seniors and others in the community of Sunnyvale. Next slide, please. Thank you very much. Uh, we look forward to hopefully being able to provide life-changing home repairs to the city of Sunnyvale residents in need. Thank you. Next, we have uh, Teresa Johnson, followed by Thomas Morris. Teresa, you should be able to unmute yourself. Thank you, Edith. Uh, good evening, um, members of the commission and staff. My name is Teresa Johnson, and I'm the director of Meals on Wheels for the Health Trust. Uh, we'd like to thank you for this opportunity to speak this evening, and thank you for your past support. The mission of the Health Trust is to provide health equity in, to Santa Clara County residents, and the goal of our Meals on Wheels program is to provide food for seniors at nutrition risk and help our clients stay in their homes. Uh, since the beginning of the COVID pandemic in 2020, we've more than tripled the number of clients and the number of home delivered meals uh, that we've provided for our seniors. We're currently serving about 7,000 meals per week, and we anticipate serving about 350,000 meals this year. We did expect the demand to decline as the pandemic settled and vaccines became available. However, this has not happened, uh, not only for us, but I know for many other nonprofits. About 90% of our clients who started during the pandemic still need our meals, and we continue to get 60-plus uh, applications each month for services. We lost over $1.5 million in COVID funding this year, 
and your support will help us um, be able to continue to serve Sunnyvale residents and seniors in need of home delivered meals. We are requesting $24,500. Um, that funding will go directly to provide um, home delivered meals for homebound, isolated, low income, and nutritionally at risk seniors. Your contribution is really critical to us um, as we leverage your contributions to raise the other needed dollars through donations and grants to serve an expected 18,500 meals at, to 80 seniors in Sunnyvale next year. Your funds will help assist us in providing about 3,200 of those meals to 26 of those sen seniors. The funds that uh, we're requesting will go directly toward the vendor cost of the meals, and we're not requesting any funding for staff or overhead. We do provide more than a meal. Uh, we have a senior socialization program. We provide wellness checks for our clients. I'd like to end with um, some quotes from one of our clients in Sunnyvale. Tammy is age 82 and she lives alone. She doesn't have any uh, close family or friends in the area. And when I recently called her to chat with her about her services, this is what she told me about the meals. The food is excellent and I really appreciate the meals. They are so tasty and healthy. Tammy also told me, um, I'm pretty much alone and I have no one to help me. She also noted that sometimes she runs out of food and has to eat canned food or peanut butter and jelly for dinner. We were able to increase Tammy's meals from one meal to two meals per day, and we enrolled her in our friendly visitor program. The friends callers keep me alive, she said. No one really ever calls me. There are many seniors in our community just like Tammy, and your support is critical to providing home-delivered meals for them. Thank you. Thank you, Teresa. Next, we have Thomas Morse with the Senior Nutrition Program. Thomas, you should be able to unmute yourself. And uh, Jenny is, oh, yes, we can hear you. And Jenny is queuing up your presentation. Good evening, I'm Thomas Morris, and I'm with the Sunnyvale United Methodist Church, which is also known, formerly known as the First United Methodist Church, and we are located on Old San Francisco Road. And uh, this is, go to the next slide. The purpose of the Senior Nutrition Program is to provide nutritious services, nutrition services uh, for, in, as described in the Older Americans Act of 1965. Uh, the goal is to maintain and improve the physical, psychological, and social well-being of our older individuals providing, securing, and appropriate nutrition services. Next slide. Uh, our objectives is uh, serve meals that provide one-third of the daily dietary reference intakes and are safe and good, promote and maintain high food qualities and standard sanitation standards, excuse me, uh, promote healthy behaviors through nutritional education and screening of our participants. Uh, we do that with um, providing 
Um, excuse me. I get get tongue tied sometimes. Um, but we, yeah, we promote and maintain coordination with other nutrition related services. Uh, next slide. As you can see, our program is open to anyone over age 60, including our volunteers, guests, nutrition staff, uh, and open to the spouse of any person who is over age 60 or disabled person under 60 who resides in a housing facility occupied primarily by older uh, persons at which congregate meals are served. Uh, disabled individuals who reside at home with and accompanies an older eligible person who participates in the program. Next slide. I think I, ah. The Sunnyvale Senior Nutrition Program at the First United Methodist Church started in 1974, and we have partnered with the uh, Senior Nutrition Program in the Santa, of the Santa Clara County and with the city of Sunnyvale. We offer all volunteer opportunities, which include registering seniors for lunch, help in the kitchen to help plate the lunches, and serving the lunches to the seniors and helping clean up the tables afterwards. Participants are asked to donate, to make a donation of $3 for their lunch, but no one, absolutely no one is turned away for their inability to pay. Next. The results of our analysis show that 83% does not always have enough money to buy food needed. 75% takes three or more prescribed over-the-counter drugs a day. 62% are not always physically able to shop, cook, or feed themselves. And 57% eat alone most of the time. Our program is able to help provide food and companionship. For the first half of the current year, uh, we have provided 23 23,600 meals to the seniors in our community. Uh, and this is a low, little bit, for reference, this is a, a slightly lower number since we've had to open back up for in-house in eating. Uh, during the pandemic, we provided meals, an average of 275 meals a day for carryout. And so, and our seating capacity in our uh, lunchroom is only 175 at the time being. There could be more. And most of the seniors, they like that coming, get their food and go home. And, but they don't like coming and sitting down for whatever reasons that they, they have. And the last slide shows our activities, this is one of our primary activities. Right now we have a band three days a week. We're working on getting more music into the program. Uh, we have, uh, mm, yes, we have recorded music uh, a couple of days a week, but we like to fill that with live music because the people can get up, dance, 
and they sit here and they talk. We open our doors at nine o'clock in the morning and we're about half full at a little after nine until lunch is served. And then it goes on from there. <coughs> in the last slide is our address, Sunnyvale United Methodist Church, 535 Old San Francisco Road. And we'd like to thank the city of Sunnyvale the County of Santa Clara, and anyone else who helps provide the services uh, and the funding for this program. It is much needed. And like I said, we have 23,000 meals all served already this year. So we're waiting for next year. Thank you. Thank you so much, Thomas. Uh, next, we have um, Catherine Fuentes, followed by Jenny Sanchez Nieto. Catherine, you should be able to unmute yourself. Hi there. Good evening. Can you hear me? Yes. Wonderful. Thank you very much. Uh, good evening, Honorable Chair and members of the Housing and Human Services Commission. My name is Catherine Fuentes, and I am the Community Impact Senior Manager at WeCare. WeCare is very excited at the prospect of partnering with the city to help bridge the funding gap in this wonderful community where childcare resources are actually proving to be quite scarce. According to the U.S. Census data, there are over 7,825 households with children under the age of six in Sunnyvale. And the city also has 1,615 children who live with a single parent, uh, according to the U.S. Census figures for 2021. So as you know, childcare can be a significant barrier to entry into the workforce, especially for women. Many working parents struggle to balance their job responsibilities with the demands of caring for their children. And in the absence of affordable and quality care options, many parents are actually being forced to choose between working and staying home. According to the data from the Bureau of Labor Statistics, as of January 2022, the labor force participation rate for women ages 25 to 54 was 74.9%, while the rate for men in the same age group was 89%. The gap is even wider for mothers with young children. Among women with children under the age of six, the labor force participation rate was 61.5% compared to 93% for men. These statistics highlight the significant impact of childcare on a mother's ability to participate in the workforce. Lack of affordable and accessible care can limit a woman's employment options, decrease her earning potential, and contribute to gender inequality in the workforce. The COVID-19 pandemic has only exacerbated these challenges, with many families struggling to find safe and affordable childcare options while juggling remote work and other responsibilities. Addressing these challenges is critical to ensuring that all individuals in the city of Sunnyvale have the opportunity to participate in the workforce and reach their full economic potential. This includes promoting policies that support working families and prioritize childcare providers who are the foundation of a healthy workforce. In order to service the pilot population, WeCare is willing to provide a dollar-for-dollar -dollar match to augment allocated grant funds for a total community investment of $1.5 million. During the program year, WeCare will support 125 childcare providers, 
1,913 LMI individuals and create 38 new low to moderate income job opportunities. We have already reached out to various local childcare providers in the community to let them know that we are working on acquiring grant funding that will assist many of them in stabilizing and even expanding their operations, increasing the total childcare capacity in the city. They are all very excited to have the opportunity to participate in this innovative use of public funding. So we thank you for this tremendous opportunity to support this amazing community of people who have quietly dedicated their lives to improving the lives of those around them. Thank you very much and have a wonderful evening. Thank you, Catherine. Uh, next, we have uh, Jenny Sanchez Nieto, followed by speaker logged in as PS internal account. Um, Jenny, you should be able to unmute yourself now. Good evening, everyone. My name is Jenny Sanchez Nieto. Hold on. And I'm the Associate Director of Clinical Services at the YWCA Golden Gate Silicon Valley. I'd like to start by thanking the City of Sunnyvale for your past support and for the opportunity to submit an application for domestic violence counseling services. YWCA has provided essential domestic violence, human trafficking, and sexual assault services to the Sunnyvale community for more than 45 years. Our multi-service continuum supports individuals and family with immediate crisis response to long-term stability and healing. Our services include a 24-hour support line, confidential emergency shelter, counseling and therapy services, legal, legal advocacy and court accompaniment, safety planning and information and referrals. Our housing department is designed to meet the needs of survivors and includes homelessness prevention, emergency shelter and motel, rapid rehousing and permanent supportive housing. All services are free of free or low cost, confidential, bilingual in English and Spanish, provided in person or virtually and welcome to survivors of all genders and sexual orientations. Our proposal respectfully requests 30, $37,770 to provide at least 70 Sunnyvale residents with 100 hours of free counseling services. We will also respond to 125 calls from residents through our 24-hour support line. During the pandemic, in the number of Sunnyvale residents receiving YWCA services have doubled. From 400 from 40 unduplicated survivors in the fiscal year of 2019 to 79 survivors in the fiscal year of 2022. So this year we're on track to serve over 100 survivors, which is a 250% increase from our pre-pandemic levels. Counseling services include immediate crisis counseling, individual and group counseling, support groups, and adult and children's therapy. In fiscal year 2022, 91% of residents served were extremely low to low income and would be unable to pay for therapy services. My job is to ensure that our team members, our staff clinicians, supervisors, interns, and trainees provide quality services to residents. Our clinical supervisors can supervise up to as many of eight trainees and associates, which expands our capacity to serve residents in a cost-effective manner. Families feeling playing DV face unique vulnerabilities. Safe, confidential, trauma-informed services are critical. Counseling service increase personal safety and self-sufficiency and disrupt the multi-generational cycle of violence. And our services also complement and reduce the need for city services. For example, Sunnyvale Department of Public Health sends their DV 
lethality assessment referrals directly to the YWCA for follow-up support. On the behalf of our agency and the residents we serve, thank you for your support. It is our privilege to work with you in empowering our community to live domestic violence free. Thank you, Jenny. Uh, next we have um, speaker logged in as ES internal account, followed by pillar for long. Um, ES internal account, you can unmute yourself now. Hi, forgive the label on the <laughs> Zoom screen. This is Carol Kahn from Project Sentinel. Um, for over a decade, we've had the privilege to serve the residents of Sunnyvale um, with pro comprehensive uh, housing programming that includes um, housing counseling for low-income homeowners, uh, tenant landlord dispute resolution services, and um, fair housing advocacy, uh, which is the um, through the Fair Housing Center at Project Sentinel. Um, our mission is to um, develop and promote fairness and equality of housing opportunity for all persons and to advocate for the peaceful resolution of disputes for community welfare and harmony. And we've been in the community since 1976 for over 45 years. We're the largest housing agency in Northern California and we are consistently funded by local jurisdictions, including Sunnyvale and including um, by HUD, the Department of Housing and Urban Development. Currently, we proudly serve 34 communities and partner with local, state, and federal agencies, community-based organizations, and legal entities um, to prevent homelessness. Um, in, in our range of services, I'd like to point out that this past year, for example, um, the first half of the year, the Project Sentinel through its dispute resolution program has counseled and educated 140 people and opened 89 cases to conciliate. As you might imagine, post-pandemic, um, we, we are definitely in a unique phase um, as, as landlords can now um, file for evictions and are doing so at increasingly rapid rates. Um, we are constantly in the middle trying to intervene and create what agreeable and mutual um, agreements we possibly can. Um, the majority of our cases right now, not surprisingly, relate to non-payment of rent, um, maintenance and repairs, as well as other kinds of accommodations for emotional support animals, for um, modifications to a unit uh, to accommodate a disability. And, um, we also educate tenants and landlords regarding their respective rights and responsibilities. We encourage parties to um, help resolve their disputes by modeling and teaching communication skills. We conduct conciliations, mediations, and um, we are confidential and a neutral service um, free to the public. Uh, in our fair housing unit, um, we work in compliance with federal, state, and local fair housing laws. We address equal opportunity in housing through community education and public outreach um, regarding fair housing law and what constitutes a violation of that uh, violations of that law. We uh, conduct investigations into discrimination and violations of fair housing protections and can provide legal representation to residents. Um, whose complaints are not adequately resolved through conciliation. Uh, the first half of this year, we've served um, 
43 persons, 20% over our goal already, and we have a handful of those cases um, now in the in mode of full case management, moving through investigation to enforcement. Um, we also are uh, participate as members of of service the service providers network and other agency collaborations in order to do our work. Um, again, we're very thankful to the city of, of Sunnyvale for supporting our work for over a decade in these arenas, and we look forward to continuing that service for the residents of Sunnyvale. Thank you. Thank you, Carol. Uh, next, we have uh, Pillar Forlong followed by Downtown Street Steams. Um, Pillar, you should be able to unmute yourself now. Great. Thank you. Can you hear me? Yes. <laughs> okay, great. Good evening. Um, I'm Pilar Furlong with Bill Wilson Center. We're a longtime recipient of CDBG funds from the city of Sunnyvale. But for those of you who are not familiar with us, I wanted to give you a quick overview of our agency and also the counseling services that we provide to Sunnyvale residents. Next slide. The Wilson Center was founded 50 years ago as an adolescent counseling center. We've grown and expanded over the years, and our programs for homeless and low-income youth and families now fall under three categories. We do housing, we do counseling, and we also do support services. And support services are those programs that provide young people with the skills they need to be self-sufficient adults. While Bill Wilson Center is headquartered in Santa Clara, we provide services throughout Santa Clara County. Last year, we provided direct and indirect services to almost 36,000 people. And that included answering more than 30,000 calls through our 24 seven contact cares phone line. Next slide. The Wilson Center has been providing counseling to Sunnyvale residents for 17 years. The people we help often lack insurance or are underinsured, which puts access to quality care out of reach for these low-income families. This year, we've requested $35,000 to provide counseling to 35 Sunnyvale residents through 253 counseling sessions. Through counseling, mental health professionals address issues such as marital or family conflict, substance abuse, depression, anxiety, stress, or out of control behavior. We work with both adults and children to help them gain tools to better communicate, understand, cope, react, and make changes in ways that are positive for themselves and those around them. A unique aspect of our program is that we leverage the funding Sunnyvale provides to attract not only other donors, but graduate level interns who provide the counseling services. Last year, the value of the hours that interns provided to this program was $25,680. Lastly, I wanted to tell you about Michael. He's a Sunnyvale resident who came to us when he was grieving the loss of a loved one. Michael, who's the father to a nine-year-old son, was having challenges processing his grief in a healthy way. Through participation in a, one of our grief groups, a BWC therapist provided Michael with a compassionate space and healthy tools for coping. With the new skills he learned, Michael was able to manage the breakup of a rebound relationship, but he was also able to process grief along with his son. He found ways to express his feelings through activities like letter writing, sharing memories, music, and activities that he and his son could do together. 
By the end of his sessions, Michael was able to acknowledge feelings of sadness, anger, regret, resentment, and guilt. He was able to acknowledge what was realistic versus what was unrealistic guilt. Now Michael is continuing work to identify everything and everyone that brings meaning to his life. So I just wanted to say on behalf of Bill Wilson Center and the people we serve, thank you to the city of Sunnyvale for your past support. And we look forward to a continued partnership. Thank you. Thank you, Pilar. Um, next, we have Downtown Streets team. Um, Good evening. We, yeah, hi. Uh, Jenny should be doing up your presentation. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. Good evening, everyone. My name is Erica Laguna. I am the Director of Program Operations for Downtown Streets Team. First, I want to start off by saying thank you to the City of Sunnyvale for their ongoing support of Downtown Streets Team and the work we're doing with the unhoused population. I also want to take a moment to thank Leif and Marie Bernard for all of their help working through the hurdles of HUD this past year. Um, as you can see, we are more than halfway through our current fiscal year, and we are on track to meet and exceed our objectives for the year. While the grant was a work-first model to help the unhoused population gain employment, Downtown Streets team has provided much more from helping people become housed to assisting team members to removing barriers to self-sufficiency and removing close to 14,000 gallons of debris already from the streets of Sunnyvale and over 25,000 cigarette butts. Uh, next slide, please. Thank you. In our workforce proposal for the next fiscal year, we'll continue to make our impact in the community with the goal of assisting at least 15 individuals with employment, reaching at least 70 individuals through outreach and uh, bringing outreach to hotspots throughout the city. We will create partnerships to employers to have a direct path for our participants to gain employment once they've participated in our employment workshops. We'll also continue to provide street cleaning in the city of Sunnyvale. If awarded the grant, we will help employ also the downtown, uh, downtown streets team staff of a project manager, two dedicated case managers, and an employment specialist. I uh, would also like to thank Marie Bernard and the Sunnyvale Community Services for their ongoing support of our team. Working alongside uh, Sunnyvale Community Services, we're able to help our team members with removing all their barriers to self-sufficiency. Thank you for your time. You're muted, Edith. Thank you. No wonder nobody's doing anything, huh? <laughs> if any of the agencies that has not spoken uh, wishes to speak, this is your chance to raise your hand. Thank you. All right, next we have uh, Mira Chandra. Go ahead. You should be able to unmute yourself, and she'll be followed by Cynthia Hunter. Hi, can everyone hear me? Yes, you might want to speak up just a little bit louder. Okay, how about now? <laughs> Perfect. Awesome, thank you, Edith. Mm -hmm. Did you have a presentation, right? Yeah. I think uh, I submitted some slides. Yeah, remind us your agency, I'm sorry. Um, no problem, uh, Child Advocates of Silicon Valley. 
Thank you. I apologize. No, Jenny okay. should be queuing up your presentation right now. Awesome. Great. All right. Hi, everyone. My name is Mira Chandra. I am the Grants Manager at Child Advocates of Silicon Valley, and today I'm going to be talking to the Council about investing in Sunnyvale foster youth. Next slide, please. So our mission is to be there for every foster child in Silicon Valley who has experienced abuse, neglect, and or abandonment. Our vision is a Silicon Valley where every foster child has the nurturing support and resources needed to thrive. Next slide. We pride ourselves in serving the most vulnerable. Child Advocates of Silicon Valley operates the only court-appointed special advocate program in Santa Clara County, and we've been doing this since 1986. We serve children from birth to 21 years old who have been placed in the dependency court system, also known as foster care, for having experienced abuse, neglect, and or abandonment. CASAs are community members that are appointed by a judge's court order to advocate for the best interests of a child in foster care. And most often, they reach the gaps where a child's care team doesn't usually. Next slide, please. So really quick, I'd like to emphasize the CASAs in Sunnyvale and the foster youth we serve. In fiscal year 23, we have 503 foster children assigned to a CASA, 13 of whom are foster children with an advocate in Sunnyvale. Next slide. So I'd really like to emphasize meeting the need, especially in Sunnyvale. 48% of kids in foster care have endured four or more adverse childhood experiences, also known as ACEs. According to the 2022 California Children's Report Card, a person with four or more ACEs is 12 times more likely to attempt suicide, 10 times more likely to use hard drugs, 21% more likely to be low income, and 39% more likely to be unemployed. However, there are protective factors that reduce the negative impacts of ACEs, and research shows that the strongest protective factor linked with resilience to childhood trauma is the reliable presence of a sensitive, nurturing, and responsive adult, such as a CASA. Next slide. A CASA is a mentor, an advocate, and a voice. CASAs build a one-to-one -one trusted relationship with their foster child and consistently show up by planning weekly in-person visits and activities. They're an advocate where they stand up for their foster child within the system to ensure they receive the services and resources they're entitled to and would benefit from. And last, they're a voice. CASAs attend court hearings regularly and submit written reports directly to the court to assist the judge in making the best decisions that will lift up the needs of the child. Next slide. So a brief overview of our program, we do offer essential services and act as a conduit to essential services within the Santa Clara County community and to out of county areas as well. Um, most importantly, we offer advocacy services, we offer our ACEs partnerships, we do discussion groups for CASAs, and we also make sure CASAs receive one-to-one -one consultations with their CASA specialists as needed. Next slide. So really quick, we wanted to talk about outcomes data in fiscal year 22. Sunnyvale CDBG funds have been a huge help to our success in achieving these outcomes. And the city of Sunnyvale has been a huge support to our agency specifically in supporting us um, throughout the years. So some of the positive childhood experiences that we uh, documented were supportive relationships, physical activity, access to nature, mindfulness, mental health care, nutrition, and uh, watching over for wellness in specifically sleep habits and practices. 
In ages zero to five, we noticed 18% had improved communication skills, 22% had improved gross motor skills, 22% improved their fine motor skills, 31% improved their problem solving skills, and 33% improved their personal social skills. Over the ages of six, 27% to 30% improved their critical thinking skills, their agency skills, their self-regulation skills, and their self-resiliency skills. Next slide. Andrew, three minutes is up. If you want to go ahead and, and uh, wrap up your final comments. Sure. Um, if I could just wrap up really quick about the city of Sunnyvale and our partnership with Child Advocates of Silicon Valley. We're noticing that fewer youth are entering the dependency court system, and we recognize that while there are less children in the system, there's still many children who have a robust need, uh, scope of needs that need to be served. And we recognize this as our opportunity to serve more deeply, which means a lot more of our staff time is committed to focusing on children and serving them with even better services and volunteer assets than ever before. So thank you so much to the city of Sunnyvale for supporting us throughout the years. And we look forward to continuing our partnership to benefit foster children um, and serve them more deeply in the future. Thank you. Thank you. Next, we have uh, Cynthia Hunter. You should be able to unmute yourself now. Yes, thank you. My name is Cynthia Hunter. I'm the Director of Programs and Policy at Nextdoor Solutions to Domestic Violence. And we just want to thank the city for your ongoing partnership and support for our programs and services for survivors and their children and families. Um, we have uh, Nextdoor Solutions was founded in 1971. And We've had the same hotline number since that time for the past 52 years, and our founder actually started uh, the hotline initially in a garage in San Jose, um, and we were one of the first bilingual English-Spanish uh, domestic violence shelters in the United States. Um, last year, we answered over 14,500 crisis calls. Um, we compare that data to the number of calls to 911 for domestic violence assistance last year, it was over, we answered over twice the number of calls to the police, demonstrating that the community has a need for other services and responses other than a law enforcement response. Um, we are seeking funding. Uh, ten, I'm actually going to, I had to leave the office. I'm in my car, pulled over safely, um, but I don't have the proposal in front of me. So I'm trying to remember everything from um, the proposal I was just looking at at the office, so I apologize. Um, we're seeking, I believe it's $10,000 for support services, um, which includes our support groups, our crisis advocacy, case management, risk assessment, and safety planning. Um, we do offer other services as well. Um, we have a 24-hour hotline and shelter, which you may be aware of. We have a domestic violence housing first program to um, help keep people housed and out of homelessness. Uh, we have our support services program, which includes, again, our support groups, which we have um, an LGBT group. Um, we have a teen group for those that identify as women and those that identify as men. We have separate groups. Uh, those are weekly. They're virtual. They're no cost. All of our services are, are free and confidential. Um, we also have a legal advocacy program. Um, and so, again, thank you to the city for your ongoing support and um, and the support um, of our proposal. Thank you so much. Thank you, Cynthia. 
All right, uh, one last call. If anybody, any other agency wishes to speak, this is your opportunity to raise your hand. Going once, going twice. And I don't have any more speakers now. All right, so I think this item is done. It's back to you, Chair. Could you unmute? Of course. So our next item is oral communications. And a reminder to the public, please raise your digital hand or dial star nine on a telephone if you wish to address the commission on a topic that is not on tonight's agenda. City staff will ask you to unmute your microphone when it is your turn to address the commission. City staff, do we have any other, any members of the public wishing to speak under oral communications? We do not chair. Moving on, consent calendar item 1.A23-0353. Approve Housing and Human Services Commission meeting minutes of January 25th, 2023. Uh, Commissioner Harrison. I move we approve the minutes of the last meeting. Um, Commissioner Riviere. I second the motion to approve the minutes. Okay. Um, I will now have city staff conduct a random order voice vote. All right, uh, Commissioner Hiermath. Uh, since I missed the last meeting, I'm gonna abstain from uh, the vote. Okay, uh, Commissioner Duncan. Approve. Commissioner Harrison? Yes. Chair Stetson? Approve. Commissioner Davis? Yes. Vice Chair Revere? Approve. Commissioner Lee? Approve. Thank you. The motion carries 601 abstention. Thank you. Thank you. So our next item is uh, public hearing general business item 223-0254. Consider approval of the draft Home American Rescue Plan, the ARP, allocation plan and draft substantial, pardon me, sub, yeah, substantial ad, amendment to the 2021 Housing and Urban Development HUD Action Plan. Is there a staff report? Uh, yes, there is. I'm going to go ahead and reintroduce myself. Uh, good evening. My name is Leif Christensen, and I am the Housing Programs Analyst with the City of Sunnyvale. I just want to take a moment to thank the representatives from each agency who spoke to the important work they do. It is always inspiring and motivating to learn more about the agency supporting the local community. Um, and you're welcome to join us for this next item, but your job is done if you were only here to do the presentation. So thank you again. And with that said, the topic of discussion for this item is to consider approval of the draft home American rescue plan, uh, allocation plan and substantial amendment to the 2021 housing and urban development action plan. I'm just gonna go into a little bit of background. Um, HUD requires uh, the city of Sunnyvale to submit an application uh, referred to as a con consolidated plan every five years. The consolidated plan is a HUD requirement to remain eligible for community development block grant and home investment partnership grants. The city's current consolidated plan was approved in 2020 
and covers fiscal year 2020-2021 to fiscal year 2024-2025. In addition to the consolidated plan, grantees must submit an annual action plan to HUD to obtain grant funding for each fiscal year. Action plans describe the grantees' local needs and the projects that will be funded each year. Once HUD approves an action plan, it is appended to the consolidated plan. In attachment three, you will find a summary of the proposed substantial amendment to the city's 2021 action plan, as the city is seeking to program an additional about $1.5 million in special one-time home funds called Home American Rescue Plan funds, or what I'll refer to sometimes as Home ARP funds. The substantial amendment is required because the city will add new projects to its 2021 action plan that were not initially reviewed and presented to the community. I will elaborate on the need for a substantial amendment more shortly. Uh, just to go into some detail about the home ARP allocation, uh, the American Rescue Plan Act was passed on March 11, 2021 as a response to the COVID-19 pandemic. The American Rescue Plan Act established a one-time allocation of home funds referred to as home ARP. The objective of these funds is to reduce homelessness and increase housing stability. As a home participating jurisdiction, the city received a one-time allocation of about $1.5 million in these funds from HUD. In order to receive the funds, the city must develop uh, a home ARP allocation plan uh, that is submitted to and approved by HUD. The home ARP allocation plan includes a summary of the consultation and public participation process, a needs assessment, gaps analysis, planned activities, and housing production goals. Once the city submits the home ARP allocation plan and substantial amendment to HUD, the city can then uh, formally program the funding once they approve. Just to go into some discussion points, um, just to reiterate, a jurisdiction receiving federal funds through the CDBG and home programs must make a substantial amendment to an action plan if certain criteria are met. In this case, the city is obligated to process a substantial amendment to program the home ARP funds as the city will be carrying out an activity using funds from a program not previously described in the action plan. The process for a substantial amendment requires the same level of public outreach and engagement as the original action plan. Uh, now I'd like to discuss the home ARP eligible activities, uh, populations, and the proposed programming based on the community consultation process. Just to speak to eligible populations first, the home ARP funds must be used to assist households who are homeless or at risk of homelessness or part of a vulnerable population, such as individuals fleeing domestic violence and veterans. Eligible activities, there's really four buckets here. Um, so they, the home ARP funds can be used for the development of affordable housing, tenant-based rental assistance, supportive and prevention services, and construction of non-congregate shelters. And just to clarify, a non-congregate shelter provides a room or a space for each client, similar to what we've seen with hotel programs, while congregate shelters are larger facilities where clients have a shared space, like the Sunnyvale Shelter or Little Orchard in San Jose. The city is propose proposing, as presented in the staff report table, using its home ARP funds to support two areas, which are enrolling more households in our tenant-based rental assistance program and investing in a higher level of supportive services to transition households to more sustainable permanent housing options. Um, now I'm gonna go into a little bit of detail about the home ARP outreach and consultation process. In December, 2022, the city issued a home ARP survey focused on identifying gaps in the systems that support the unhoused. 
from the shelter system to the administration of services and support to the unhoused. Then the city hosted two stakeholder meetings in January to receive additional feedback and discuss how to maximize the home ARP funding. HUD asked the city to meet with local service providers who serve eligible populations, along with the local housing authority and our COC or, or continuum of care, um, which is part of the county and they have a heavy focus on resolving homelessness. Between the two stakeholder meetings, the city engaged 10 agencies and also met with a representative from the Santa Clara County Housing Authority who could not attend the stakeholder meeting. A trend when speaking with stakeholders about the home ARP funds is an acknowledgement of certain gaps in the system supporting the unhoused from a lack of shelter beds and supportive services to a large shortfall in permanent affordable and supportive housing. The discussion focused on the amount of funds available, 1.5 million and how that could be maximized in the shorter term, meaning how do we help people sooner rather than later? That became uh, the theme and a lot of agencies have clients now who need help. Uh, so while the group acknowledged various needs, including the need for more permanent supportive housing due to the amount of funds available and the great need that exists now, stakeholders agreed or came to somewhat of a consensus that providing funds for tenant-based rental assistance coupled with supportive services would be a way to help their clients sooner with housing options and the supportive services would assist clients in areas like benefits counseling, additional housing search, and completing applications for affordable housing units as the rental assistance would expire after 24 months. And the reason I say that is programs like TIBRA sometimes have to lease people up in market rate units. Um, and throughout the term of the program, which is two years, there are a lot of applications submitted to affordable housing properties, which if uh, a client ultimately gets accepted, that will become the most sustainable option for them for the long term is um, benefiting from some of the affordable housing stock that we have. Um, so that's a common plan or plan of action for our rental assistance programs. Uh, the fiscal impact uh, approval of the substantial amendment to the fiscal year 2021 action plan is necessary for the city to allocate an additional 1.5 million in home funds for rental assistance and supportive services to serve the unhoused population and those at risk uh, who are residing in the city of Sunnyvale. Uh, the staff recommendation is recommend alternative one, approve the home ARP allocation plan and substantial amendment to the 2021 action plan as shown in attachment three of the staff report. Um, with that said, I wanna thank you for your time and um, would be happy to uh, answer any questions and have a discussion. Thanks again. Thank you, Leith. Um, any questions for um, Mr. Christensen? Commissioner Hiramath. Hi, uh, thank you so much for uh, the presentation. Uh, it's actually uh, uh, looking through the proposal. I think uh, what we have there is great, especially uh, going for tenant based assistance for a one-time fund seems like the appropriate thing or seems like the most beneficial thing to do. Uh, I definitely support that. Uh, I just had a question on the administrative fees allocation. For this particular fund, I think we're asking for 200K, which is almost around 13 and a half to 14% of the whole fund. And if I remember correctly, even for our regular CDBG administration, we also allocate approximately 200K uh, administrative funds. Uh, since this is just an extension of something that we already do, uh, I'm not sure the 
is this a completely new set of administrative fees or uh, how does that uh, uh, get accounted? It wasn't clear to me looking through the report. Yes, so part of the discussion around these funds is we have until 2030 to spend them, but what we wanna do is get the, the funds out the door quicker. So the admin is gonna be spread out over a longer period of time um, and for a separate purpose than um, what we use the other admin for. One of the reasons we looked at, initially that number was smaller, the 200,000, but one area we feel like in hindsight, we made a mistake with the CDBG CV funding was giving less admin because there's been a lot of administrative work in addition to our regular entitlement program to manage the contracts, monitor these programs, you know, provide the technical support. So our TIBA program is going from 20, it's gone to 40. And now with this, it could, you know, what we want, we want to see it expand more, but those funds will be able to continue to provide the support, you know, to the agencies with the technical assistance, monitor the programs, remain in compliance. And then again, these funds will be spread out over a longer period of time um, when compared to our annual entitlement grant. Um, it is a fair statement though, to question the, the admin and planning percentages. Um, so I hope I was able to answer your question or provide some detail. Uh, just to, to follow up, so are we, getting like dedicated resources that consume this cost or uh, where is it going? As in, if the existing staff is just serving more people, it's just spread over a period of time or uh, are we hiring new people to administer this new program? No, we, oh, sorry, Jenny. I was gonna say, I can jump in. Um, Commissioner Hiramath, it's a really great question about the admin. Um, so for transparency purposes, we have four staff in housing out of six who are, out of seven, sorry, who are funded with CDBG funds. Our $200,000 in typical CDBG admin does not cover those four staff. Um, housing is a unique division that's not funded at all by the general fund, so we have to cover our expenses with these grant administrative costs and other housing related um, revenues. So what Leaf was mentioning is, you know, this is a brand new funding source. These funding sources also come with a lot of monitoring by HUD. So there is a lot of staff work behind these types of funds, the CDBG CV, the home ARP, they're kind of these special animals. Um, and so we have to monitor these programs very carefully. It's a lot of staff time. Um, and also this specific pot of money had some unique outreach. So to date, we've already had a lot of staff expenses just getting to this point. Um, and so we're just being more cautious now with our admin. We're requesting as much as we can to make sure we're covering our costs to make sure that we're not burdening any other funding sources to keep paying for our staff. So no, unfortunately, we're not expanding. We wish we could. Uh, we're just trying to cover the, the staff we do have now. Okay. All right, okay, thank you. Commissioner Revere. Hello, thank you for your efforts on the detail report and process. Uh, a quick question on um, the use of the AARP, uh, AARP home funding has the chart where it talks about the statutory limit and the percent of the grant. Uh, is there a reason why there's a difference in the nonprofit capacity building between the 2% of the grant and the limit? And for the administration and planning, it looks like there's 13% and then the limit is 15%. So is, is that left there as a gap for flexibility or is there a particular reason why it 
the percentages are different? There isn't a, so we are kind of mirroring what we have with our current TBR program, which we set aside $100,000 for the admin and kind of operating components. Um, so I think what we wanted to do was add nonprofit uh, operating, which will, the nonprofits will always ask for, you know, we don't just want the money for rental assistance. We need something to cover our staffing and operating costs. So we feel like that's in alignment what we offer already with our similar TIBR program. Um, if we were looking at the amount of clients served that will cover the operating expenses. And then the capacity building really comes in if they need to bring in more staff or promote somebody. So, you know, provide training uh, for their teams. Because when we look at a TIBR program, when Sunnyvale Community Services came on, um, you know, we uh, recommended that they do a series of trainings that folks at housing authorities would get because our program is pretty similar. So we're hoping that the 25,000 would be able to provide some more training opportunities for new staff, help them with the capacity component to be able to manage this program, then the 75K would be able to help with the general operating, you know, of the program. Okay, thank you. And, and then for the details on the survey, I saw the list of agencies that were consulted with there also were there also consulted about the formulation of the questions about the survey provided to the community. HUD, when we prepared a survey, what what I did to prepare the questions was look at recommendations from HUD and then um, other jurisdictions that prepared surveys. And a lot of what we wanted to get at and what HUD wanted us to understand were the, the gaps that exist. So when we did release the survey, and I'm, um, you know, if, if anyone from the commission wanted to see it, I'm sure we could, um, you know, share it with you, is really just talking about what do you think the gaps are in the shelter system? What about the gaps in supportive service administration? What about the gaps in affordable housing availability? So the survey gave us a lot of great information. And then a lot of the same agencies that completed the surveys came to the stakeholder meetings and we were able to elaborate on those ideas and thoughts, um, which really honed in on helping people now and getting them situated in housing and then moving forward. Um, so we, you know, we'd be happy to kind of share more detail about the surveys if anyone wants to follow up on that too. Okay, that'd be great. Thank you. And then um, also appreciating the glossary as well. So on the action plan, page 33, there was a chart that talked about um, the rental assistance and the production of new units. So the numbers there, for example, the 20 for rental assistance, would that be, so just the 20 households is anticipated or could be expanded to more? So the, with, um, if we're talking about the, uh, is the action plan in there, there may, you know, that could be the, so the way we have to prepare the action plan is kind of redline, you know, what we're taking out and then highlight what we're putting in. So our existing TBR program serves about 20 households. So that may be what was in the action, but yeah, we would look at, I think, being able to increase our capacity of TBR to 15 to 20 households with that 800 and some thousand dollars. So that would uh, either be our goal or very close to it, the additional 20 households, which would be a total of 60 after our just most recent expansion. Okay, thank you. You're very welcome. And we'd be able to get a more finite number once we put these funds out for request for proposal. So right now, again, we're just kind of planning for the funding. What 
actually happens with that funding within those buckets will come in a really similar process to our typical CDBG. So we'll be able to have those numbers, you know, towards the end of the year, if not this time next year, when we get those applications, and then we can actually plug in how many households and things like that. So right now we're just planning ahead. Yeah, thank you, Jenny. And just to add to that, HUD wants to see, we'll submit the allocation plan. And what they wanted to know is once you submit this and it's approved, how are you going to release these funds? So what we are planning on doing is we'll have the capital RFP go out this December and adding another RFP with that to request proposals for these funds to program them. So later this year, you should be seeing an RFP coming through. And that's when we'll really be able to evaluate because um, maybe there's an agency that proposes how we can serve more than 20 households with those funds. Uh, but that is a rough estimate right now, but we will all be able to look at proposals in the near future to see who can maximize these funds for us and the community, most importantly. Thank you both. Thank you. Commissioner Duncan. Yes, um, probably a really petty kind of question, but um, we are considering an amendment to the annual action plan for 2021 and here we're in February 23 and, and the action plans are annual. I'm, I'm just confused by the years we're amending here. Yeah, I, I that is confusing. So let me explain that. So we um, there's been a series of funding allocations from the federal government since the COVID pandemic started. First, it was the CDBG CV funds and those were kind of rolled out, I think, in uh, you know, 2020. So they wanted us to amend our 2019 action plan for those funds. So that's what we did. We went through several amendments with that. Then in 2021, they released the American Rescue Plan funds. And my and my thought is they want us because they released them that year to amend our 2021 action plan. And the reason we're we're a little bit delayed in that is we had the 1.7 million in CDBG CB funds to spend and time. Uh, more time to program the home ARP funds. So we wanted to make sure we allocate it and manage those CV funds ap appropriately first and then move on to the next set of funds. So, um, and I think the good part is in the meantime, we were still able to um, build out our TIBA program with some of the program income we accrued over the year. So we were still able to expand that program and now we could do so more. But to answer your question, they rolled the funds out in 2021. So I think that's why they're requiring the amendment to that 2021 plan. It's our way of responding to inscrutable requirements. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Any other comments or questions? Okay. Since we remain in a virtual setting, I will ask the public to use the virtual raise hand feature or star nine on the telephone to indicate their wish to speak. City staff will ask you to unmute your microphone when it is your turn to address the commission. City staff, do we have any members of the public wishing to speak on this item? We do not, Chair. Okay, thank you. I will now ask for any further discussion or a motion from my colleagues. Commissioner Hire Math. Yeah, hi. Um, I, I'd like to make the motion. Okay. What is your motion? Uh, motion uh, is uh, alternative one, approval ARP allocation plan and substantial amendment to the 2021 action plan as shown in attachment three of the staff report. Okay, thank you. Um, we have a motion. Uh, Commissioner 
Harrison. I second. Okay, we have a motion and a second. Edith, can I have you read back what the motion is? I do not have it in front of me. I apologize. Right. Um, <laughs> the motion is to approve alternative one. You mm -hmm. probably wish to give um, Commissioner Hiremath an opportunity to speak to his motion. Commissioner yeah. Hiremath? Yeah. Uh, like I uh, mentioned in my uh, initial comments, given it's a one-time allocation and there is a specific guidance from CDBG on uh, trying to help with the homelessness and uh, the residency issues, uh, bulk of the funds going towards uh, TBR, in our case, seems like the, the right uh, uh, allocation and I'm um, very happy to support that. And with the caution that I raised earlier, seems like administrative cost is a little bit higher, but it's understandable given uh, all the work that's involved. So with that, uh, uh, I propose uh, we go with the alternate one. Commissioner Harrison, do you have another comment or? No, I'll just say that I will support the motion. I think the city staff as usual have done an amazing job of navigating yeah. through very uh, technical waters to come out with a solution that benefits the community. Yep, totally agree. Okay, um, city staff, please conduct a random order voice vote. I will do. And, and just because you asked, <laughs> I do have the motion in front of me now, which is to recommend an alternative one to city council, approve the home ARP allocation plan and substantial amendment to the 2021 action plan as shown in attachment three of the staff report. All right. And with that, we'll go ahead and do a random call. Uh, Commissioner Lane. Yes. Thank you. Commissioner Harrison. Yes. Vice Chair Revere. Yes. Chair Stetson. Yes. Commissioner Duncan. Enthusiastic. Thank you. Uh, Commissioner Davis. Yes. And Commissioner Hyerman. Yes. Thank you. The motion carries 7 0. Thank you. Um, standing item, consideration of potential study issues, item number 23-0354. Anything? Um, no study issues proposed to discuss tonight, but I actually wanted to just use this opportunity to update the commission on the current study issues for 23-24 that were considered by council at the study session or at the uh, study issues workshop last week. Um, as the commission probably remembers, you ranked two study issues, one being the considering 20% inclusionary and one being the consider um, reanalyzing or increasing the residential in lieu fees. Um, the council did rank both of those. In fact, they merged them together into one larger issue together. And they ranked that out of the community development study issues, they ranked that as number two, number one being um, the study issue focused on creative solutions for homeless families. So I just wanted you to know that your study issues um, were approved with, with flying colors. Um, staff has not drawn the line quite yet, but we do expect um, those study issues to be in the work uh, 
product for 23-24. So just wanted to give you an update on, um, on, on that and show that your hard work is moving forward. Great. Thank you very much, Jenny. Okay. Standing item, housing element update 23-0355. Commissioner Harameth has a comment. Oh, sorry. Commissioner Harameth. Uh, so just laughing uh, uh, while saying, because after, in a, such a long time, one of our study issues has been considered. So I'm uh, just very happy for that. <laughs> yes, it is it's definitely our goal to get it done this fiscal year too. But uh, yeah, it does feel like a long process to get it, get us to this road, but um, it's worth, worth the wait. Thank you for the council uh, uh, for, uh, sorry, uh, one of our study issues being picked up. <laughs> Mayor Klein. Sure, I'll, and I'll just comment a little bit. You know, it's always mm -hmm. it's always difficult to figure out where things go as far from that standpoint. You know, and where you know, and staff staff and the city manager still need to work on where things fall above and below the line. But you know, it's I do think that looking at the combined study issue, um, and then of course the 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 basically options for for housing families, I do think is is pretty critical. Um, I also wanted to mention, since we're in non-agenda item comments, um, I did wanna talk about uh, conceivably next month, uh, we'll be back in person. And I think this might be the first commission meeting uh, to be in the new city hall. So looking forward to that, um, but, but you know, we'll see whether or not we make the date and you know it, it all depends on that from that standpoint whether or not we're in the new city hall or, or old city hall from um from a meeting standpoint but either way you know the governor's um state of emergency ends at the end of this month so i look forward to seeing you all in person so just wanted to throw that throw that out there and and we can talk more about the study issues and the study issue process then so thank you Thank you. Um, so um, going back to the housing element update, do we have an update, Jenny? Yes, very small update. So um, we are scheduled to go to city council on March 14th at uh, 6 p.m. tentatively, might be 5.30, we'll know soon, for a study session on the housing element. Um, we are going to be looking for a tiny bit of policy feedback from the council on two or three different items and then providing a general education to some of our newer council members at that meeting. So I do encourage all of you to listen in or to watch it the day or so after if you can't attend. Um, I think it will be helpful as a refresher for the housing element and also to see some of those sticking points and policy that we're hitting right now, looking for feedback on, including um, our village centers and a certain um, certain park fees and things like that. So we'll hopefully get a little bit of policy feedback, finalize the draft and get that off to the state by the end of, or by the beginning of April. So ideally early summer, we'll have our comment letter and hopefully be able to either adopt or quickly get that um, redone for a final version. So things are looking good. We're almost at the finish line, but again, March 14th for that study session. Great, thank you very much. Okay, moving on to non-agenda items and comments. Commissioners, since we remain in a virtual setting, I'll ask my colleagues to use a virtual raise hand feature to indicate their wish to speak. Do we have any non-agenda items or comments from the commissioners? Commissioner Duncan. 
is thank you. Uh, actually, it's just fall on to what Jenny was just talking about with the housing element. Uh, builders remedy proposals have been in the news lately. Has has have we seen any uh, proposals that are attempting to use builders remedy in Sunnyvale yet? Sunnyvale has not received any applications that would fall under Builders Remedy. Um, we'll knock on wood, but we like to say that in Sunnyvale, you know, we have strong relationships with our developers. We have strong land use zones and policies, and um, we have reasonable uh, density that some other cities don't have that these developers are looking for these loopholes to, to get projects in. So, um, so far, so good. A couple of our neighboring cities have received applications. I'm sure you've seen it in the news. The one in Los Altos Hills is getting a lot of coverage. Um, as you can imagine, they're coming in through into smaller cities who have smaller towns who have very low densities, um, don't allow a lot of multifamily. And so this is an, an opportunity for those developers. But um, Sunnyvale has not seen or has not been um, even asked about a potential. So we'll We'll, we'll definitely keep you updated, but nothing as of yet. Good to hear. Thank you. Commissioner Riviere. Hi, yeah, quick question on uh, maybe potentially related to our reports. The uh, longitudinal employment and housing dynamic report just came out with the census. Is that in any way related to uh, maybe some of the agencies or the communities that surveyed or, or took part in the listening sessions or statistics that will utilize in the housing element? I'm not sure I'm familiar with that report. Um, the census data, um, we have looked at a little bit for the housing element, um, but it, the other report I'm not familiar with, you're welcome to, to send that over to me. I'll take a look. Okay, thanks. That'd be great, thanks. Uh, staff, do you, city staff, do you have any non-agenda items or comments? Yes, just a couple. Actually, I will piggyback off of uh, Mayor Klein's comment and just remind our commissioners that this is our final Zoom meeting. It's It's been a wild three years. I, I did actually want to take a minute and say thank you because I think we've done a really great job. Um, a huge thanks to Edith also for running our technology show. Um, it's It's been tricky sometimes. It's been easy sometimes, but I can't believe we made it this long. So huge thanks to everybody. It was fun while it lasted. Um, so we are going into a hybrid uh, version starting on March 22nd at 7 p.m., um, so staff and the commissioners will be required to be in person. The public can, can participate virtually and consultants and things like that. But for the most part, we will all be there together in person again. I recommend getting there a little bit early for our, our first meeting just to get situated. Um, many of you have not been um, in person together, so we can take a little time to get to know each other too. We don't know where we're going to be quite yet. Um, there's rumor of the council chambers and there's rumor of the Washington Swim Center community room. So keep those areas in mind, generally same location in Sunnyvale, um, but we will let you know as soon as we find out more information um, as to where our meeting will take place. Um, or maybe it'll be in the new city hall, hopefully, we'll, we'll see. Um, fingers crossed. So, um, Let's see. Uh, the only other thing for that, masks are optional. They're not required. Um, do what makes you feel comfortable. Um, generally, there's not a lot of um, social distancing anymore because many of you know the council chambers, they're, they're fairly tight. So just you know, do what makes you feel comfortable to be back in person altogether. If you have any concerns, let me or the city clerk know ahead of time. 
Um, our March agenda is full. Um, it will be a good one. So we have the grant recommendations for the CDBG um, and home funding we heard tonight. So we'll be presenting to you the initial recommendations. We will then hear the draft um, uh, adoption hearing for the Moffat Park specific plan. And finally, we are bringing you our tenant protections ordinance that we have promised you for so long now. So um, it'll be a full agenda. We look forward to it. And again, being all back in, in person together will make it that much more special. Um, so that's all I had tonight, but happy to answer any questions if you have anything. Okay, I don't see anybody raising their hands. So um, information only reports items 23-0356, Housing and Human Services Commission proposed study issues calendar year 2024. Again, Jenny? None yet. That's right. Okay, seeing that, and I don't see any hands raised, the meeting is adjourned at 8.58 p.m. And I really wanna thank everyone for your participation in tonight's meeting.